If you are visiting with us today, we are glad you're here, whether you're here with us in person, as so many of you are now, or if you're online visiting with us today, we're glad that you have come into the house of the Lord. You know, it's nice to have guests come and join us. I never call you out. I never make you stand up. I never try to single you out or anything. But y'all need to meet Pam's friend because she's known him since grade school. And that was like 12 years ago. Don, we're glad you're here. Did y'all get a chance to greet him and let him know that he's a welcome guest? As anybody else you see and you think, wait, that must be new. I don't recognize them. And they might be. Or it might just be you haven't met them yet. But either way, you need to greet the folks around you as you leave today. Because we will leave on a very high and happy note, I have a feeling. And it'll contain red in it somewhere. We have been going through the book of Acts. We started the year in Acts. We went through for a while, then we stopped and we made a little detour into the book of Nehemiah. And then we picked back up with the book of Acts again. And we have now entered into our last chapter, chapter 28. And so I just wanted to walk back through the book of Acts. 27 sermons. I hope you brought your lunch. Here we go. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had been had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles to whom he had chosen. For John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is how the book of Acts opens in chapter 1. Chapter 2. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. So then, those who had received His word were baptized, and that day there were added to about 3,000 souls. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church has begun. The movement of God's activity through Christ, has now been handed over to us. In chapter 3, Peter heals a lame beggar and uses the opportunity to preach that the miracle of Jesus leads to our inward need for salvation and upward realization of the authority of Jesus and the forward movement toward a perfect perfection. A perfect perfection. Jesus died to rescue us from our sins. Chapter 4 and 5, we see Peter and John arrested, beaten, released. They continue to preach. And this begins the struggle that we see for the early church to survive and thrive even in a hostile environment. Gamaliel, one of the Jewish leaders, warned the other Jewish leaders not to get involved because they were talking about, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And Gamaliel said, if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. And from this point forward, we see healings and persecutions. We see all kinds of people stepping up. We are introduced to the man Barnabas, the encourager. Chapters 6, 7, and 8, 
We see the church choose seven as deacons to serve. Now, I took the majority of our deacons, George and I took them over to a deacon training yesterday over at Pastor Fran's church. And we had a great time. And these guys are studying to know how to better serve because that's what a deacon means. It's a servant. And so they are preparing their hearts to serve the church in even greater, fuller ways. So they chose these seven. And one of the ones they chose was Stephen. Stephen was a powerful preacher and became a threat to the Jews. So they had him killed. And this is where we're introduced to a man named Saul at the death of Stephen, who was very much and became very much a zealous persecutor of this early movement of Jesus' followers. Chapter 9 is a pivotal chapter where we read about the conversion of this man Saul on his way to Damascus to actually arrest and imprison and possibly even kill Christians, Jewish people who had become Christians, and he was going to do this. Paul will retell this story many times. We have several of them recorded in the book of Acts. Saul was becoming Paul, and he began to preach the gospel from this point forward. It was also in this chapter where Peter had a vision that leads him to take up the gospel to the Gentiles. All this is moving really quickly because God has now opened the gates for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's through the church. It's through us. Chapter 10, we see through Peter's preaching that God plays no favorites, Jew or Gentile. They're all welcomed into the kingdom of God. Chapter 11 is the birth of the church in Antioch. And I remember Brandon doing an excellent job teaching about this church and how it became the place where the sending of the gospel into the world began. They appointed Barnabas and Saul to go as missionaries. Chapter 12 is about the last time we see Peter in the book of Acts. But in chapter 13 and 14, we now see Saul, who has taken the name Paul. We see him sent out on his first missionary journeys. And we'll see the pattern that will become more and more familiar to us throughout the rest of this study of Acts. Paul will preach in the synagogues. Some will believe. Others will reject. Paul will turn the gospel then towards the Gentiles. And in response to that, preaching the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, the Jews will try to stop it. This is the pattern that will go on. Chapter 15, the second missionary journey begins. We'll see, as, as Brandon noted, they're gatekeepers, they're grace getters, and they're bridge builders. The gospel is for everyone, and we are all sent into the world like missionaries to take the good news to everyone who will believe, both Jew and Gentile. In chapter 16, 17, 18, the Holy Spirit continues to build His church. In Troas, in Philippi, when we're going to see a book by, to that church written by Paul. Thessalonica, there too. Berea, Athens, Corinth, there too. Paul will write to these churches. We see the church growing. Chapter 21 through 27, the missionary journeys are over. Paul is moved by the Holy Spirit 
to return to Jerusalem, and he's also been given the call on his heart to go to Rome. From the very beginning, Paul was challenged that he will preach the good news of Jesus Christ before the common man and also before kings and rulers. So this is our elect session, and he's heard the call to preach first to the Jews, but ultimately to the Gentiles and the rest of the known world. We've seen him repeatedly be rejected by the Jewish leaders, embraced by some of the Gentiles, and persecuted unjustly until he's forced to flee to Rome. Oh my goodness. To get away from the Jews in Jerusalem who didn't like Jesus in the first place, but like it even less that he's preaching to the Gentiles. So he is forced to call out and say, I'll take my case to Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen. You can't beat me unjustly. You can't imprison me unjustly. You can't kill me unjustly. I take my case to Caesar. And so that moved him out of Jerusalem to Caesarea to Caesarea on his way to Rome. And last week we talked about all that experience in getting to Rome. We have truly gone from the upper room where they were praying and the Holy Spirit fell down upon them. We've truly gone from there to the uttermost parts of the world in this study. You, the church, are called to not just stay here in the upper room, but to be sent out every day, everywhere with the good news of Jesus Christ because as Acts tells us, it's for everyone. Let's pray. Long introduction. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for hearing us cry out to you in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our disobedience. Father, thank you for sending us Jesus. And the good news that we received is good news for everyone to receive. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. I pose you this question. What if Paul had not pleaded his case to go to Caesar? What if he had been arrested by the Jews, taken before the Romans, the crowd went wild, and in the riot, somebody throws a rock, hits him in the head, knocks him out, they drag him off to the side, they save his life one more time, he gets up, he dusts off, he goes back out, they do it again, and again, and again, and again. The Jews were going to find some way to silence this man. What if he hadn't pleaded his case to go to Caesar? Well, let me just tell you, God's going to do what God's going to do what God's going to do. And you can have that assurance. Had it not been Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles, it would have been another or another. It would have been any of us. It is any of us, all of us. What if he had not gone? Hmm. Paul always wanted to go to Rome. Well, probably in Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey, around 57 years after the death of Jesus, Paul explained in a letter to the Roman church his desire to come see them on his way to Spain. We're going to read that verse in just a minute. Paul couldn't just sit still. He couldn't just be content 
to gather some church around him, maybe build up a big following right there wherever he was and leave it there in a known area with familiar setting, familiar customs, familiar people. He was not content. He had a missionary call on his life to bear the gospel before Gentiles and kings and Jews wherever he could find them. The verse in Romans chapter 15 Verses 20 through 24, this is what Paul said to the church there in Rome. Thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, this was back in Isaiah 52, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a desire to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. Paul says, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to stay for a while. We're going to have a nice time. I'm going to tell you about all that God is doing. And then I'm going on to Spain and you're going to help me. He was so excited to go be a part of the church in Rome. He had never been to the church in Rome. He had only heard of it. He was so excited to go. Verse 16 is where we pick up our study in chapter 28. It simply says this, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Okay, big sign goes up in the neighborhood. It says, grand opening, the gospel grill at Paul's house. All are welcome, BYOG, bring your own guard. Paul had his. And all of a sudden, we see a strange and amazing ministry take shape in Rome. He's chained to a guard in his own home, chained to someone. My wife is very fond of saying, he wasn't chained to the guard, the guard was chained to Paul. Couldn't get away. They would work in six-hour shifts, 24 hours a day. The guards would come in and change. Four times a day, there would be a new guard. Someone new for Paul to talk to. Someone new to hear Paul talk to others. One writer I read talked about, what if they really got interested in what Paul was saying? And the next guy would show up for his shift, and Paul's guard would look at the guy and he'd say, look, Joe, uh, you mind if I just take your shift tonight? Yo, go right ahead. And the guy would stay a little longer. Hmm, take an extra shift. It's Veterans Day, and I've got a good friend who is a chaplain in the military. And through the years, he's risen to positions of greater and greater impact and influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Army. And he is now over just a large number of other chaplains, training them, providing for them, helping them do God's will. Back in the day, at the Gospel Cafe, or the Gospel Grill, 
Paul was beginning a military ministry. How else would he have known, had such a good understanding of the Roman armor that he could so eloquently write in Ephesians chapter 6 about putting on the armor of God? Because he had an example right here, all day, every day. You got a helmet and a breastplate. There's the sword. You got the shoes, government issue. He became so acquainted. He could put that into his writing to the church at Ephesus. Philippians 1.13. I want you to hear this. He's writing from his imprisonment in Rome to the church at Philippi. And he says to them in the first chapter, so that my imprisonment for the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Now the Praetorian Guard were the specialty guards. They were the personal bodyguards of the Caesar, of the other high-ranking Roman officials. But in Caesar's household, the Praetorian guards were in charge. They were the intelligence gatherers. They were not only the highly feared and revered guards, they were also the spies. These were very powerful Roman soldiers. And he says that his stuff has become known to them. Maybe late at night after the visitors, because he'll talk in a minute about how people would come and go, and Paul would talk to so many different people from his home. Maybe late at night, that guard who was chained to him had listened to him for the previous three, four, five hours, might have some questions. Paul's just kind of sitting down, resting after a long day, and the guard said, hey, I got a question for you. What did you mean by, are you, are you kidding about that whole thing on the road? Tell me more about this Jesus that you say we crucified. And Paul would have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, one-on-one -on -one with the praetorian guard of Caesar's household to explain the gospel. I heard a guy say once, <clears throat> back in the day, when a couple of young ladies had ventured into the wrong place at the wrong time and been taken captive by the Taliban, and they were in a Taliban jail deep in the country. And this guy that was speaking one afternoon said, how else are you going to get the gospel to a Taliban guard unless you become a prisoner in his prison? That's not the kind of missions that we think is kind of fun, do we? We're like, oh Lord, send me as a missionary. I want to be a prisoner in a Taliban jail. But if you ever get the opportunity, talk to the guards while you're there. That's maybe why you're there. He talked to the Roman soldiers all the time, so much so that later in that same letter to the Philippian church in chapter 4, verse 22, he'll be commenting and sending greetings from all these different people, and in the greetings he will say, all the saints 
especially those of Caesar's household. The saints, the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ who had come to know him under the conversations of Paul chained to them. That's just amazing to me. He was under house arrest for around two years. And so somewhere in the early 60s, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's there for two years. Here's a statement that Paul understands very well. This house where the gospel grill is located and all these people are coming and going, this is not his home. This world is not our home. In the 70s movement of the Jesus people, Larry Norman, no relation, I don't think, was one of those early musical pioneers of the rock and roll genre of Christian music. And his breakout vinyl record was called Just Visiting This Planet. Folks, as believers of Jesus Christ, you weren't created to live eternity here without Him. You were created to live with Him. And this is just the beginning of your journey with Him here. And whether the new heaven comes down and and it's right here, or we are lifted up through the clouds into the heavens, I'm going to let Jesus figure that out and He'll just show me the way. But while we're here, we're guests. We're not the owners. We're not the permanent residents. We're just guests. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. So observe all the guest rules, okay? Be polite while you're here. You're visiting. Be polite on this earth. Leave it better than you found it, okay? When you come into this world, you find how it is, try to leave it a little better. Pick up after yourself and maybe after your neighbor. Leave it better than you found it. And please don't go digging through the Lord's medicine cabinet or look under the bed trying to figure out stuff. Be a good visitor here. As a visitor, your presence here in the world Your presence has been repurposed now as a believer of Jesus Christ. You thought you had purpose in life before you became a Christian, but your purpose in life has been redone. You are not just here for your personal benefit, although there may be benefits for you to be here alive at this time in this place. That's not the real reason. Your purpose is to share the gospel I'm going to say it over and over and over because, church, I want you to get it. This is what Acts is all about, sharing the gospel. In verse 17, after three days, you know, there's no time for Paul to sit around. He's been wanting to go for a long time, so he's going to get with it real quick. After three days, Paul called together those who were leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, they began saying to him, or he began saying to them, brethren, Though I had nothing done against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews' objectives, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I have done, have any accusation against my nation. 
But for this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. This chain that he was wearing reminds him of his purpose. There's a little weight to this little piece of chain right here. I mean, this is only about two feet, four inches long. But I can feel it around my neck. I can feel the weight of it. The weight of your calling and purposing of Jesus in your life, you ought to feel that as if you have a reminder around your neck, around your heart, around your soul. And you feel the weight of Jesus' calling on your life. That's what he's telling them, that I have this chain. Verse 21, they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, these Christ followers, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. We've not heard anything about you in particular, but we've heard about this movement of people following after this Nazarene. And we've not heard good news, so we want to hear your position. He's meeting with the leading Jews in Rome. He is basically saying to them, I know who the Messiah is. They've been looking for thousands of years for the Messiah. They've been teaching it in their temples, in their synagogues, in their Bible studies of the Scriptures. The Messiah is coming. Paul says, I know who he is. So these Jewish leaders are like interested. They've heard of the sect. They've heard about this going on, but they've not heard about Paul, but they wanted to hear his Jews about Jesus. I know who the Messiah is. Not long ago, there was a rabbi in Jerusalem. His name was Yitzchak Kaduri. Yitzchak Kaduri was known for his photographic memory, his memorization of the Scripture, of the Talmud, of the Rashi and other Jewish writings. He just knew this stuff. He knew Jewish sages and celebrities of the last centuries, rabbis who had lived in the Holy Land and kept the faith alive even before the state of Israel was born. Kaduri was not only highly esteemed because of his age, he was 108 years old. But he was very charismatic and wise, and he would talk to all the chief rabbis, and they would come to him looking for him because they thought of him as a tzedek, a, a righteous and knowledgeable man, almost like a saint within the Jewish custom. He would give advice, he would give blessing to anyone and everyone who would ask. Thousands visited him seeking counsel or healing. So this guy's well-known. This is not just some minor person in a backwater you know, job. When he died at the age of 108, over 200,000 Jews came and marched in his funeral procession in Jerusalem just to pay their respects to this man. A few months before Kaduri died, 
He surprised his followers. I'm reading this from an account. He surprised his followers when he told them that he met the Messiah. He met the Messiah. He had spent so many years of his life studying the Scriptures about the Messiah. He was seeking to know. And he said, I have met the Messiah. In 2005, he claimed that the Messiah appeared to him in a vision, told him his name, and that he would come soon. Kaduri gave a message in the synagogue on Yom Kippur. This is the Day of Atonement that we talked about last week. Teaching how to recognize the Messiah. He never told anyone the name of the Messiah. He kept that secret. But before he died, Kaduri left a note on a piece of paper that was placed in a sealed envelope with the instructions to his disciples, do not open until a year after my death. Not knowing exactly when that was going to be. Do not open. And they didn't. In this note that told the name of the Messiah was hidden in this text. When the year was over, the disciples published this sensational text. It was not the Christians who made this text known. It was all the people, the followers of this Jewish rabbi. And the secret note said, quote, concerning the letter abbreviation of the Messiah's name, he will lift the people and prove that his word and law are valid. This I have signed in the month of mercy, Yitzchak Kaduri. Taking the first letter of each word in his little brief message reveals the name of the Messiah, Yehoshua. This is the word for Jesus in the Jewish language. It revealed, the note revealed, what many have known for centuries, that Yehoshua, or Yeshua, is the Messiah. When the biblical name of Jesus, the rabbi described the Messiah using six words and hinting that the initial letters from the name of the Messiah, the initial spell out the Hebrew name of Jesus. They're effectively the same name, Yehoshua, Yeshua. And if you go back and looking at Zechariah 6.11, Ezra 3.2, if you check the Hebrew, this is the word that you would read. Yeshua. I know who the Messiah is, Paul said. And these Jewish leaders wanted to know what he knew. And he was going to tell them. Verse 23. When they had set a day for Paul, they, now this is the leaders from like seven or eight of the synagogues there in Rome. There was a large Jewish presence in Rome. They came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. From both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. We're talking about 8 to 12 hours. We're not just talking about a Bible study for an hour, go home and have dinner. All day long, he opened the word of God to these men. It says, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Okay, here we go again. Party's over, turn out the lights. This is the same pattern. Once again, he let the Jews know that their refusal of the gospel 
would only persuade him more deeply to take the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is always going to make him angry. But the Jewish faith is our faith. But you don't even like Jesus. You should be willing to like get rid of that teaching out of your faith and let it go out to the, those crazy heathen Gentiles. He said, if you don't listen, the Gentiles will. When they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. He said this, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through the Isaiah the prophet to your father saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing but will not understand. You will keep on seeing but not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. They're not just going to hear it. They're going to listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed having a great dispute among themselves about Paul's teaching. This chain of the gospel. He felt the weight of the call of God to share the gospel. He loved the Jewish people so much. He would say in one of his letters, I would give up my very salvation if you would receive. He told the kings as he was speaking to them, we read this earlier, I would that you would believe. Oh, Paul, you've just about persuaded me. I will do anything for you to believe. He loved the Jewish people. But when they wouldn't listen, he was not hesitant to continue on with the chain, with the burden of God on his heart and on his life. The rest of the story, the last verse of the book of Acts, this is what you take home today. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Hmm. While in Rome, two years under house arrest, chained to a guard that he would share the gospel with over and over again, some even believed. While in Rome, he writes letters to other churches. He wrote the book, the letter to Ephesus, the church there. We get the book of Ephesians. He wrote the book to the church in Philippi. We get the book of Philippians. He wrote the letter to the church in Colossae. We get the Colossian book. He wrote the letter to Philemon, a slave owner whose slave Onesimus had run away. He wrote these letters while he was imprisoned under house arrest. That's amazing. Tychius, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Paul, I mean not Paul, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, these are all listed as guests in his home while he's there. What the Romans didn't realize they had here, if they had just taken these guys captive and done away with them and all that, they would have wiped out the influence of the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament. And they were right there under their noses, visiting with Paul at Paul's gospel grill. They were there. Pray for an open door. 
he will say to the Colossians in his letter, pray for an open door. And then the last comment, sharing Christ with all openness, unhindered. Isn't that how it was supposed to have been for Paul all along? Wouldn't it have been good if God would have just given him, you know, the get out of jail free, advance to go, collect $200 kind of pass. Just go and preach and everybody's going to respond and you'll always be welcomed and the Word of God will just proliferate throughout the world. Isn't that how it should have been all along? Share the good news unhindered. That's not how it was. The harvest has always been plenteous, to use the biblical term. The problem has always been that the workers are few. The harvest is out there, folks. There are people just waiting for you to come and tell them the good news. But just like the sower threw the seed of, you know, the illustration, and some fell on rocky ground and some fell on, you know, and the birds ate some and some choked out and all that. Different sermon, I won't go there. But some grew, some took root and bore fruit. You take the seed of the gospel and you spread it everywhere you go. Some will take root. Your home where you live, I know you're going to need to go home and maybe clean up a little bit, but your home could become a base of operations for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't go to them, they came to him. From your home, the gospel will reach the world, or at least your neighborhood. The importance of sharing the gospel is the theme of chapter 28. It's the theme of the whole book. No matter what your circumstances, find ways to receive others and serve the Lord. Let me say that again because I want that to stick. No matter what your circumstances are, find ways to receive others and serve the Lord. If they're breathing, share the gospel. I don't know who I should talk to. Should I talk to this person, that person? If they're breathing, share the gospel. If they're wearing a Christian t-shirt, share the gospel. Sometimes it's camouflage to keep you Christians away. Share the gospel. If they're, <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. The best kind of evangelism, don't sit around and wait for a program or a six easy steps or whatever. The best kind of evangelism is the evangelism that you will do, that you will not back away from. Do the gospel in your life. Find ways to invite people into your homes, which might mean you have to make friends first. Invite them over. Invite them out to lunch. Go help them with a project at their place. Find ways to invite people in to not just receive your cookies and milk, but to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be very intentional. You think Paul did a soft sell on the gospel to those Praetorian guards? Uh-uh. Here it all is up front. Boom. You think he did a soft sell, a careful presentation so not to offend anybody when the Jewish leaders came to his house? No way. 
Here is the gospel. You need to understand it plain and simple and straight. Here's the gospel. What you do with it is up to you. I have nothing to do with it. I'm just throwing the seed. I'm just throwing the seed. Expect, just like we would see throughout Acts, that most people are going to reject. That's what the parable of the sower taught us. Most of the seed is not going to take root, but some will respond. In church, our job, not just your job, I'm included here, our job is to be faithful in our telling the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And do it with a glad heart, even wearing a chain. We should start like this fashion statement. People all over Cincinnati will see you wearing a chain. Not a pretty little gold chain, but some Home Depot style of chain. And all of a sudden, the 80 of you out here be walking around town wearing chain. Somebody look at it and go, that's weird. And they'll go to Kroger and they'll see someone else wearing a chain. Well, that's just crazy. I saw that in a third one, a fourth one, because you people get around. One of those folks is going to see your chain and they're going to come up to you and say, what is that all about? I've seen several people this week wearing a chain around their neck. What is that all about? Did you know that Jesus Christ loves you? That God created you to know Him and to be with Him and to just enjoy His presence and worship Him? And that because you are sinful, you couldn't do that until Christ came and died for your sins, paid for your debt on the cross. When He was resurrected, He opened the door of heaven to you. That's what this chain is all about. This is good news. I'll be interested if I see any of you wearing chains. But I'll be more interested if I hear of any of you sharing the gospel That's your job, church. Do it. Don't be hesitant. Christ died for these folks that are out there, just like He died for you. And just like you have been saved, resurrected from your death to a new life in Christ, they can be also. Christ is no longer here walking. Paul is no longer here walking. Just us. Just us. No pressure. You're not in this alone. He's got followers all over the place. But in this building, you don't just have other followers. You've got family to wear the chains with you. There's your challenge for the day. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for giving us your presence and your peace and your spirit. Thank you for giving us a knowledge of who you are and what you've done. Thank you for giving us the riches of heaven. Give us now the desire and the gumption and the wherewithal to not be silent. But Father, give us the family the good news to spread. Give us a commitment of heart and mind and soul to not only be your followers, 
but to be those who hear you and do your work and your will. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.